see all of you uh, today. And uh, for some reason today, people like to get real scared on Halloween. You one of those freaky people? I'm not going to scare you. But I just, I noticed that, that uh, today's a day when people like to get scared. But uh, if you're visiting here with us today, I want to welcome you. It's great to have you. We've been doing a series, and we're at the halfway point today of our series called Guardrails. And as you saw on the video, uh, we see them everywhere. They're all around us, right? And why are they there? To protect us. And in some cases, they're there to save our lives. And in this series, we've been looking at the, the possibility of, okay, so what would it look like for us if we put these guardrails up in different areas of our lives, uh, and, and so we can define what a guardrail is, and we've been talking about this a lot, but the official definition of a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying, keyword, into dangerous or off-limit areas. And uh, the whole theory behind guardrails is that you'll do less damage to your car, to your body, and even possibly your life than if you were to cross over to the other side. And we actually have a real guardrail, not Hollywood style, as a visual. So you won't forget. Okay? But over there is some bad, bad stuff. And this is here to protect us and keep us. And so this whole study, we've been looking at the possibility of, can we form these things in our lives? And uh, our definition of a guardrail, a spiritual guardrail, is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Meaning it will spark a feeling in you, uh, uh, in your conscience. It will, it will sensitize your conscience so that when you rub up against the guardrail... It'll say, danger, danger, danger. You're getting close to something really bad, but you're hitting this and you're saying, okay, I'm going to pull back. And they're always, guardrails are always placed a few feet away from danger. There's like that protective area. So in the same way, what we want to do with our spiritual guardrails is to place them a distance away, four or five feet away, so that if we get close, we're still, we're still safe. But you know, we got to be honest, we like to ride the edge, don't we, as a people. We love to just look out over the abyss and, and get really close to danger, as close as possible without going over. And that's kind of Halloween for some people. They like that thrill. They like that emotion, that adrenaline rush of being close to danger, you know. Those thrill seekers, you see them on TV programs every now and then. Those crazy people that jump from planes, that jump with rubber bands tied to their legs, <laughs> off of bridges and buildings, and I don't understand that. But there's people who like it. But what we're talking about today is not little dangers. We're talking about big ones. And today we're going to talk about something uh, that's a little more. And... and in this series, what we're encouraging our, our members to do, and I want to encourage if you're visiting here with us, I want to encourage you to develop your, your, for yourself 
your own personal standard that becomes a matter of conscience. And if there's an area in this world, in our culture and society, that we need is more conscience. Because people don't have one. They think they left it at home or it's, you know, it's in the closet and they haven't used it in a long time. We need conscience. God gave it to us. It's a gift. It, dis- it, it, it differentiates us between animals. We have a conscience and we feel inside of us, this isn't right. I'm not in a good place. But our conscience has to be developed and cultivated and trained to feel and think things. Look at this verse here and that the prophet Isaiah shared from the part of God. From the book of Hosea in chapter 4, verse 6, it says, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. And this couldn't be more true than what we're going to talk about today. People's lives get wrecked, get ruined. In another translation, it says that my people's lives are ruined because of a lack of knowledge or a lack of understanding. And we have a heavenly Father. We have a Father that cares about us. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, you know, a good dad would create protective barriers for his children, right? He wouldn't push them in harm's way. He wouldn't bait them to come come close to the edge, little Johnny. Come close to the edge and, and let him fall and say, Oh, what a shame. I hope you learned a lesson. A good father would not do that. A loving father is going to put out protective barriers for the children that he cares about and say, No, I'm not going to let harm come to you. And that's what God is saying to His people Israel here. You don't understand. Come to me and I can teach you. I can teach you how to live. Look at another verse. And this is about the Word of God. This is the Bible. And we are a Bible-based church in the East region. We, we believe in the Bible. We read the Bible. We, we have a Bible. If you have a Bible here today, could you lift up your Bible? Look how many Bibles we have here today. If you didn't bring a Bible, oh, your cell phone, that'll work. It's on there. Why so many Bibles? Because we believe in the Bible. We believe the Bible is like Psalm 119 says right here in 105, verse 105. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. We live in a dark world. And it's not dark just tonight. Okay, it's the little trick-or-treaters go out and the haunted ghosts and goblins come out. You know, we like that thrill, some of us. But, you know, in some ways, that's just a little game. What I'm going to talk about today is really frightening. We live in a culture right now where it's a haunted house. It's a house of terror for families and for people getting married. And it's not a little thing. It's a big thing. It's a serious thing. When we have in the the area we live in, Southern California, a divorce rate of 80%, I can see why people are scared to get married. Scared to commit to a relationship. Because they know the failure rate. And it's not just failing in a relationship. it's It's the casualty that goes along with it. The consequence, the pain that they have to live with after that relationship is over. 
But the point here is, is there's answers so this doesn't have to happen. You don't have to be a casualty. And we have great examples of young people who are getting married in our church and are doing it successfully. We have people in our church who've been married for 10, 11, 12, 22 years for us coming up in December. Isn't that awesome? I'm not scared. I'm not worried. I got answers. I got a lamp. I know where I'm going. And today is all about lighting up your life. Now, when the lights turn on, it can get a little scary. Because we're going to reveal some things. Anytime you pull that refrigerator back, things scatter. Remember that? Single brothers? Remember your, remember your apartment? I remember. Remember that apartment I had? And we pulled it back and it was nasty. One shoe wouldn't do it. But we have, we have answers. So let's go to God in prayer as we begin our lesson today. Let's, let's, let's pray to God. Our Father in heaven, we're very grateful for you. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful for the hope that you offer this lost world. And we're grateful that we can be here today and not somewhere else. So we can learn. So we can grow. So we can... Today we're going to talk about an area that is most needed, in my opinion. But it's the area where me as a minister face the most resistance. I feel sometimes when I talk about the subject that I'm going to talk about today that I'm like one of those Old Testament prophets that's speaking and people just keep walking by. They're not paying attention. I can wave my hands, wave my arms. Hey, look out! Watch out! This is serious! And they just keep on going. Because they know better. And they think what I'm going to share today is extreme. Let me tell you, it's very, very needed. It's very serious. And if we as a culture, and I want to share this today, we as a culture put these guardrails that I'm going to share today in place. Just, just imagine this. If we as a culture use these guardrails, it would impact poverty levels in our community. Meaning they would, they would diminish. The number of people in prison would, would, go, would go down. It would, it would thousands of little boys and little girls could be tucked in by mom and dad tonight instead of having to go back and forth, back and forth, not knowing where is my home, really. In fact, there's not one single area of our lives and our community that would not be affected in a positive way by what I'm going to talk about today. It would affect everything in a positive way. If we just took these guardrails that I'm going to talk about today and implemented them. But you have the opportunity today, you yourself, because I, I, I'm almost sure the community we live in, the culture we live in, they're not open to this. But you might. And I hope you are. You know, in every area of our lives where there's desire, a desire, we need guardrails. In the area of our physical and sexual 
intimacy, we need reinforced concrete, steel, cable, netting, reinforced guardrails. Why? Because it's a strong thing. It's high velocity. It's high power. This, this right here will not do. I, I couldn't get one of the concrete ones, you know, they have in the mediums. You know, that would have been, Steve wouldn't have been able to do that one. But that's what we need in this area. You know the ones they use in the medians? I mean, they don't even scratch when a car comes head on. That's what we need in this area. But you know, the reason is like any other disaster. Why is this so serious? Why is this going to be elevated above the other ones? The reason, because disasters, what's on the other side in this area, unlike other areas of disaster, this one leaves lifelong scars. It's almost impossible to fully recover from a disaster like this one. What am I talking about? In the area of finances, you know, you can completely crash and burn financially and recover. I'm talking about run up hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. You can declare bankruptcy. And with discipline and focus and a plan, you can fully recover. And then you can come back years later and laugh about it. Oh yeah, I remember when. I remember when that happened. Unscathed. Even for you young people in college, educational, and I'm not promoting this, I'm just saying that you can recover. You can flunk out of a semester, right? Some of you have done this. Okay? I mean, completely tank a whole semester, fail everything. You can fail a whole year. Cost a lot of money. But guess what you can do? You can get your act together. You can decide. Come back, make straight A's, get your GPA up, right? And be, you know, a 4.0 student. And then you can sit down with your kids and talk. As, you know, when I was in school, I mean, I had a bad year that year. But let me tell you, I learned my lesson. And laugh about it. But even professionally, you can get fired. I mean, you, your boss can come in and say, you know, you're the worst employee ever in the history of this company. You're fired. Like, like Donald Trump, you're fired. You turn right around, learn the lesson, get a new job, employee of the month. Laugh about it. In the area of sexual disaster, this is one you will not hear people laughing about in parties. People don't cruise around. Oh yeah, I remember when. This leaves a deep lifelong scar. And God can make repairs, but the memories, the ghosts, they do not go away. They're always lingering. And so because of that, because this is such a serious area, we need to make sure we put up. We need guardrails in this area. Because the severity of the impact is so great. And, uh, you know, today you say, well, this is what I would expect the minister to say. So I'm going to take off my minister's coat. And 
I'm going to be like everybody else because I want to share with you. I'm going to be very straightforward today. We're going to have a straight talk. Just us. I wasn't always a minister. And I'm speaking speaking from the vantage point of experience today. See, I spent a lot of time of my life over here. Sexually, in a mess. Over here. It was a mess. So, I'm not speaking from the vantage point of a minister. I'm speaking from the vantage point of a person that was there, reaped it, suffered it, felt it, lived it, and said, I want out. And I want these in my life. And by the grace of God, today, God gave me another chance. And it blows my mind to think where I am and what I have now compared to where I was then. It's a testimony of God's power. But our culture tells us that sex is physical. But you know what? We know better. We know better. I didn't know the Bible when I was a young man, but I sensed in me that's bad. I felt it. I said, man, this is not good the way I am living. The way my friends are living, the way my culture is baiting me to live, this is not good. This is not the way it's supposed to be. The world tells us it's physical. It's like a handshake. It's like a hug. You can, you can have sex with somebody and no big deal. You know, you move on. It's like a date. That's the way they treat it in our culture today. It's so sad. So sad. And we know it's not true. And they know it's not true. Even studies are coming out that it, the, the effects are very deep. And God knows this is spiritual. There, there's a line you don't cross. You don't go there. Because it's going to affect your life and it's going to affect the lives of other people. And we, we need to do something about it. And you might think that the things we talk about today are extreme. Say, man, that, that's way over the top. I would expect you to say that. Those are extreme measures, those guardrails that you're putting out there. I mean, we're not the Quakers. We live in Southern California. Let me tell you about the other 23 years of experience that I have as a minister. Sitting down with families. Sitting down with couples. And hearing the heartache. Hearing the heartbreak. Shedding tears with couples. We have elders in the house. They know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's heart-wrenching. So we have the opportunity to, to put rails up and say, no more. No more. We are going to protect our lives from this, and we're going to start over, and we're going to do this thing right. And it's going to be a blessing. It's going to be as God intended it to be. So let's begin. This is a scripture uh, that, that Paul shared with the church in Corinth. And look what he says here in chapter 6, verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. What's that word mean? Flee. Does it mean be careful with? Watch out for? What does flee mean? Paul is speaking in a city that is very dark. 
Corinth was a dark city, kind of like Southern California, but worse. It was a dark city. And he says, get away from there. And I thought we might need a, 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 descript, a description of what it means to flee. Paul's warning is to run. Run, right? Let's, let's see what run looks like. Do. I told you, but I could run like the wind blows. From that day on, if I was going somewhere, I was running. right? That's what Paul's trying to tell us. And you may be like Forrest Gump in his younger years. You've got these, you know, braces on your legs and you feel like, I cannot run. I can't get away from this. But let me tell you, when your heart desires to truly get away from what is going to hurt your life and your family, the power of God can come upon you in the same way. And man, you can get clear away from harm. And that's what we're talking about today. I'm talking getting far away from damage. Flee. And here's what a number of people say when I talk about this stuff. They've got to be straightforward, right? You know, this is what I want uh, my husband to hear today. I want him to listen to us. I'm so glad he's here today because he needs to hear this. And I want my kids to hear this today. I'm so glad that they're here today. And I, I want my cousin, and I'm going to get a copy of the lesson today, and I'm going to give it to my cousin. And I want so-and-so, and we're so sure we want everybody to know about this, but we're not sure about me. I'm not sure if this applies to me. I'm talking to you today. And I hope today you can make a choice to do the right thing. 
because it's, it's bad today. And we're going to get very descriptive. Our culture, our culture doesn't help us in the least bit avoid disaster. Our culture doesn't help us avoid disaster, but rather baits us close to the edge and chastises us when we fail and when we cross the line. See, our culture will call us over as close as possible to disaster, even the other side. Get right up on the edge. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And then when we fall, man, something wrong with that guy. I mean, let's get descriptive. And, and everybody would disagree with what I'm going to talk about today. Everybody would say, yeah, that's bad. Everybody would agree with what I'm saying. Let, let's look at it. Teen pregnancy. Is that a good thing? Anybody, anybody want to argue that point, whether teenagers, 15 years old, in school, it's a good thing for them to get pregnant, unmarried. It's a good thing. Anybody want to make that argument? There's nobody, nobody who would say that. Everybody agrees. It's wrong. It's bad. It's harmful. But here's the duplicity. Go to the mall. What kind of, what kind of dress are they promoting? What kind of styles are they promoting for young ladies? At 13 years old, 12 and 13 years old, what kind of what kind of clothing line are they putting out there for these young ladies? I want to, and, and this may offend some of you. What they're promoting in clothing lines today for young women, if you go back 40, 50 years, 40, 50 years, like what my mom would wear 40, 50 years ago, if you take the clothing line today for young teens, preteens, put it back there, and let those young ladies walk around in society, then, you know what they would say about those young ladies? She's a hooker. That's a hooker. That's a lady of the night. What a tragedy. That's so sad. What's wrong with that girl? And see, that's the duplicity of our culture. We, we bait young women to dress a certain way, and then when they get over there and they fall, and they get pregnant, and they get immoral, and something bad happens in their life, they say, oh man, what a, what a shame. Her parents, her parents must be really detached. She must not come from a very good family. Are you kidding? Are you, are you, are you serious? I mean, look at the duplicity. It doesn't stop there. Men addicted to pornography. Oh, my goodness. Did you hear about Fred? He's, he's got sexual addictions. I mean, he's way over there. That's so gross. Man, that guy. Ugh, I don't want to be around. Have you stopped? Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Everywhere we turn as men, we're getting baited. We're getting enticed. Come. We can't watch television programs. We can't watch a, the World Series. We can't watch an NFL anything. Nothing. Can't get on the computer to check email without being baited. Everywhere. Road signs. Everywhere we turn. The world's saying, hey, hey, come on. Oh, but what a, what a, what a sad case when a man is in it falling. And guys, I'm not saying let's be victims here. 
Let's be aware. Let's be aware and let's, let's make decisions. I will, not, I will not be a slave and dictated to by this dark world. Because I say what goes in here. I say what goes on in here and here. But it's, it's so sad. And then in the area of infidelity in marriage, you know that we entertain ourselves with infidelity? Some of the, some of the hottest programs on television right now. You know what they're about? Infidelity. They get good ratings and they keep on going and going and going. And our culture is promoting it. It's building it. It's saying, oh yeah, this is important. Almost all programs, some shape or form or another, they've got a subtle message of infidelity. And they play with it. Oh, but when a husband or a wife falls into infidelity and adultery, go, man... I can't believe she did that. Can you believe it? Can you believe he did that after all these years? I mean, what do you think? Do you think we can just watch this stuff over and over and over again and have no consequence? Do you think our guard won't go down? I mean, let's talk about movies, right? When's the last movie you saw where the love scene was between a husband and wife, married. Can you think of one? I had to think. I said, man, when, when's the last movie that I saw where the love scene was between a husband? I go, like Rocky One? <laughs> and Rocky One was kind of, kind of, kind of nasty. You know, you had Rocky and he was all kind of nasty and they were married, but it was, it was not, not good. I'm like, no. I don't want to see that. It wasn't romantic. It's kind of ugly. People don't want to see married people because they're like, ooh. It's like my mom and dad or something. I, I don't want to see that. I want to see unmarried people having affairs and love scenes. We're entertaining ourselves and then when someone falls, see, the culture we live in is baiting us. And so all the more, we need guardrails in our lives. Desperately. Look what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 19. He says, don't you know? Now, why did he say don't you know? Because obviously they didn't know. And I'm sure some of you don't know since today. You don't know this about your body. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with what? Your body. You may not know this. And you don't even have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a believer. This is God's perspective on the gift of life and the body that He gave you. It's sacred. Your body is sacred. It was made with a purpose in mind. A a place, a residence for God's Spirit. And for Christians, we're doubly motivated in this area. We're, We're like, man, I've got... Part of God. If, if you've been 
if you've been, you know, if you've heard, believed, and obeyed God's plan of salvation, meaning you've repented, you've confessed, and you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, God's Spirit lives in you. He lives there. He's in you. And, and it says here, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Anybody have an idea uh, of what our national debt is right now? Uh, I'm sorry? Three trillion. That's five sets of three zeros, right? Four or five sets of three zeros. It's a lot. It's a big number. You know what your body is worth? More than that. You know what your, your value is to God? And I know some of you do not see this. You don't understand. Like he says, do you not know? Then I'm telling you. I'm, I'm letting you know. Your body is sacred. Your body is valuable to me. It's a precious gift. And I want you to take care of it. I want you to honor me with your body. Don't take this lightly. That means whatever you put in your body, be careful. Whatever you put and look at, whatever you think, honor God with it, with your body. And this is, this is serious stuff here. And, and God looks at, at our lives and He says, hey, I want you to take care of this. But the context of what he's talking about right here in this verse is sexual. Do not use your body for a sexual relationship outside of marriage. And if you're here today and you're not married, and you're in a relationship, I'm saying you need to give some thought to this. Not for me. This is not our stance from the church, okay? This is God's Word. This is, this is from the Bible. Okay? I tried to spin this for many years in my life. I, I, I would say to myself, well, you know, the wrong thing would be a one-night stand. But if you're in love, it's okay. And I would twist it and turn it. And then I looked at the Scripture and I said, no. Only one way. You've got to be married. Because it's sacred. That kind of relationship is sacred. It's not a handshake. It's not a, it's not a hug. It's not dating. It's all in. Until death we do, do us part. Okay? It's serious. That's God's plan. But here's, here's the test. Whatever you're doing with your body, eating, drinking, walking, talking, living, is it honoring God? Is it honoring God? That's what he's saying. Where you go, where you take your body, what you do with your body, is it honoring God? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to help you understand who you are, what your body is. This is a great motivator for me to take care of myself at a spiritual level, at a physical level. Because I want to honor God. I want, my, I want my body to say, God, this is yours. I'm yours. Use me. I want to honor you. And I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about giving your best effort. And asking God for guidance. Where you take your body, what you look at, and what you think about. And that's why when it comes to the area of sexual immorality, flee, flee, flee. Don't. 
Flirt, flirt, flirt. Some of you do this. Some of you do this. You know what I'm talking about? Young ladies? Young men? And this isn't, somehow the teens last week thought that the friendship class was for them, that I singled them out. I'm sorry that I portrayed that. This is for everybody. Everybody. This isn't just for one group. And Last week wasn't for one group. This is for everyone. All of us, including me. Flee, flee, flee. Don't flirt, flirt, flirt with this. So let's make sure you get this. Now, I'm not sure where you are right now. If you're taking a little nap or if you're pretending to take notes on your phone, but you're really text messaging. Okay? I don't know where you are right now, but I, I, I just, right here, just for this time right now, I need your attention. Okay? I need your attention. Okay? Just, just for this minute, and then you can go back to texting and doing whatever you were doing. All right? Because I know people text in church. All right? She can wait. He can wait. They can wait. This is important. This may affect the rest of your life. Today you need to make a decision. I don't like being forced in decisions. Then don't make one. But you just made one. By not making a decision, you're making a decision. And this, this, is, a, this is a big deal what we're going to talk about today because I believe... What do you want to do? What do you want? And this is funny. What do you want... What do you want from the person that you're going to marry? What's your expectation from them? Faithfulness? Fidelity? You want these puppies in their life? He better be good. She better be good. If I'm going to give in on this relationship, what about you? You know, for your kids. And we want everybody to have standards, but if there's any kind of duplicity... Or hypocrisy, that you want something for somebody else, but it doesn't apply to you. We have a problem. We don't have, you have a problem. Because you're you're living by two standards. And we all have to live by the same standards. If we're going to be in a relationship with someone, can't be two, three standards. This is This is serious. And then, you know, for some of us who say, ah, this is way extreme. When I get into the, some of the guardrails that we're going to talk about today, you can say, oh, man, I would expect a minister to say this. This is way over the top. You know, let, way extreme. Nobody does this. Well, number one, a lot of people do it. You just don't know. You just don't understand. And you will today. Unless, if you walk out of here today, you leave and say, I'm not doing this. I want to. I want you to move forward. Turn the clock forward. Here we're going to turn the clock back. I think, right? Fall back. We're going to turn the clock back. But let's turn the clock forward two years, three years. Okay. And you're reaping it. You got no guardrails. You're foot loose. You do what you feel. No one tells you what to do. But you're in a, you're in a marriage. You're in a relationship. You're a young person. Early pregnancy. Relationship turned out bad. You got found out in your marriage. She knows. Everybody knows. And you're on the verge. You're on the verge of an implosion. Your life is coming apart. I know what this, I, what this feels like. Because when I was in college, I had one of these. Guess the first thing you do? You pray. You pray. Oh, God. Please. 
Please help me. And you may even pray like this. Oh, my God. That's a start. You'd pray, right? I know you would. I know you do. And God would answer back. Do you remember? Do you remember when you were at that church service two or three years ago? And that guy with the mic attached to his head was speaking. Remember that? Remember that. And, and God goes, hmm, hmm, hmm. I wish you to listen. And we'll say prayers like, no, God, if you get me out of this spot right now, and if you make the internet go away, and you black out all my history on the internet, and you and you get me out of this spot, and I can and, and no one has to know anything, if you just get me out of this jam, I'll go to the morning service. I'll be on time to the morning service. I'll give a tithe. I'll go to the Latin service at 12. I don't even speak Spanish. I will go to everything. I'll be a leader. I will serve. I will get back there and help the sound. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever. I will. Yes, God, just get me out of this jam. Please. Just turn the clock back. You're here today. This is your opportunity to avoid what's coming. And we're not just talking about you. If you're married and you have children, guess who we're talking about? We're talking about the lives of others. We're talking about your family. Are we communicating? Are we understanding each other? This is huge. Today's your day. Today's your day to have this. And be protected and pass it on. And so what I'm going to share with you today, and I don't know of anybody that I've heard of in our church that went back and regretted having guardrails. Don't know one. And what I'm going to share today, these guardrails that I'm giving you are are not in the Bible. Okay? They're not in the Bible. Sorry. Okay? They're not man-made. They're minister-made. Okay? They're minister-made. They're made by many ministers that have sat down many, 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 many times in appointments, in counseling times, in phone calls, in so many situations with married people, with single people, And when I was in those talks, my head just dropped. And as I heard the wife crying, sobbing, my heart sank. If only they'd had some protection, some guardrails in their lives. This comes from a lot of experience. 23 years of it, and not just mine. I've consulted others. And I've seen some real disasters. So these are not from the Bible, but they're minister-made guardrails. And the people that do these, it works. Not one person has come back and said, I regret having 
those in my life. I wish I had never had one of those in my life. Married person, single person, I never said it, never heard it. In fact, if you ask some of our young married couples that are getting married right now in the last couple of years, we've had some great runs in the church. You ask them, and they had higher guardrails than this, what I'm going to talk about today. They set their own. They set bars higher. I was like, whoa. These are serious. And not one of them has come back and said, I, I wish I hadn't had those. So let's, let's, let's talk about this. Okay, you ready? And, and guess where I got these? Okay? You can only imagine. Okay, we're going to start with the married people. Married people, are you here in the house? <laughs> married people. Okay, this is for you. Married people. Okay, first guardrail. Write it down. Okay, this is a note-taking part of the class. Okay, because we're going we're gonna to have a, 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 an ongoing activity to talk about it. Number one, don't travel alone with people of the opposite sex. Don't travel alone with people of the opposite sex. That means in cars. That means in planes. Okay? You and your secretary on a business trip. Don't do it. You, as a married man, should not travel alone with a married woman or unmarried woman. That's not your wife. Don't do it. Why? Why would I even mention this? Hello? Many, many, many situations have happened in car rides. This is a guardrail. Okay, if I ride in the car with a, with a, married, with a person of the opposite sex and I'm married, am I sinning? Have I sinned? No. You just run into a guardrail. You didn't sin yet. But you're getting close. You're toying with a risk. Okay? For the married people. I know your wife wants you to do this. You may not want to do it, but your wife does. And your husband does. Number two. Don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. Do you know that every affair, every affair, you know where it starts? Almost all of them. I mean, there's almost like maybe one in the history of mankind that didn't start here. Guess where it starts? Hey, why don't we grab some lunch? You got to eat, right? Let's grab some coffee. Let's sit down and talk. And then there's a the second coffee. Then there's a the second meal. And then there's the, there, there's the, you know, the trip here and the trip there. And there's the hotel bills. All started where? Don't. Have a meal. Now, I understand at work in a situation, there may be a situation you can't get out of. You know what you do in those situations? Get on the phone. Get on the phone, call your wife and say, hey, here's the deal. I'm, I'm in an appointment here at work and I'm at this place with this person. Just wanted you to know. Laugh about it. Okay. No big deal. Right? Number three. Don't confide in or counsel members of the opposite sex. Married people, are you, are you listening? Don't confide in or counsel with. Don't confide in or counsel with. I think I'm turning it into a rap song. Don't do it. But you know what? You're, 
you don't understand. You, you lack compassion. Why? I feel like I, I can, I'm the person, the chosen person to help him or her. I mean, why, why can't we help each other? Aren't we supposed to be helping each other in the, in the church? And aren't we supposed to be looking out for each other? You know, no, that's not the point. Let someone else help them. We have a policy in the church. Me as a minister, as a man. I do not counsel women in the church. I don't do it. I won't, if they want to schedule an appointment with me, I refer them to my wife. Or Nancy Mantle. Or Stacy Peterson. Or Shirley Moss. There's plenty of good women to meet with the sisters. I do not do it. You know why I don't do it? Because it's a guardrail. And those men who didn't do it, ministers, Christian counselors, many, many people who didn't do it, guess where they ended up? Over here. Tragic. And had a big consequence in their marriage. Don't do it. But, but no one understands me like he does. No, no one, I can't talk to my husband the way I can talk to him. You know, this is like a bad movie. I mean, listen, if you were watching this in a movie, if you are watching this in a movie, play out, you know where it's going, right? You say, man, I know where this is going to go. You figure it out. But for some reason, we could be right smack in the middle in the starring role and we don't get it. Don't do it. Okay, married people, don't do it. And if you do it, tell somebody. Number four. When you feel your heart or desire drifting towards someone, tell somebody. Okay? Talk about it. Doesn't have to be your spouse, but it needs to be a disciple with some conviction. We're we're a church of circles, not of rows. I know we're meeting in rows today, but we're we we want every single member to be an integral part of a small group. Why? Stuff like this. We need the fellowship. We need the talks. I need a small group. I have a small group. I am grateful for my small group. I mean, our faith group, we talk about stuff. We get into it with each other. We have some really good talks, and we're there for each other. So if this happens, you know, that sweet thing at work, let somebody know. You know, that, that guy, you know, and, and it's, it's a weird thing. You know, you get around him and you feel, mm, comfortable talk about it you know what that does chops it and if you hear that from somebody help them ask them a couple days later how's it going we're not the police we're there i'm my brother's keeper right we're there for each other okay now in conclusion for you married people your spouse needs to know where your guardrails are You guys need to know where each other's guardrails are. Make sure you talk about these together. Okay, where are you going to put them? If you adopt these four, or if you add five, or you have six, whatever it is, you need to come to an agreement and know where each other stand. That way, if something happens, you can talk about it and say, Honey, I bumped up against it. And you're going to feel bad. But you're going to feel a whole lot better than if you felt over there. Okay, this is wisdom what we're doing here. And couples that have done this 
have avoided pitfalls. I only needed one story as a young man where my brother-in-law shared with me as a minister of a counseling appointment. It got a little crazy. And he got out of there. And I said, whoa, I learned a lesson here. Do not confide. Do not counsel. And no situations today, which I'm very grateful for. These things work. Okay, and as we talked about, if you violate a guardrail, you'll feel bad, but you haven't sinned. It's not sin. Okay? No reason to have a bump. Talk about it. And don't do it again. It's there for your protection. And you can avoid disaster. All right, single people, are you here? Single people. Now, I'm going to share with you, okay, I was in the church as a single man for five years. Okay, this is experience speaking. I put these into practice. I used these guardrails in my life. And there was no incidents as a single man in the church. Okay? No immorality, no stuff. Impurity, no stuff. Why? Because I'm that good? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not. It's because I had guardrails. And these are what we're talking about here. Okay? Put these into practice. And you'll see, number one, apply, apply the married guardrails in your relationship. The married guardrails in your relationship with married people. Okay? Pretty easy, isn't it? Don't travel with... Don't counsel or confide in. Okay? Don't do that with married people. If you were married, would you want, you know, Sister Susie talking to your husband or, you know, or Brother Joe? Would you want that? Confiding out here in the parking lot late at night? No, you don't want that. So, would you be an extreme? This is so extreme! No, it works. It works very, very well. Okay, it works very well. Number two, no sleepovers with people of the opposite sex. Pretty straightforward, but let me tell you, it happens, and we need to talk about it. Late at night, situation arises, and I remember not too long ago, there was a, a retreat scheduled for some of the singles that wanted to go on a retreat, not the whole ministry, but you know, this group wanted to go away, and they got this cabin, an incredible deal on a cabin up in Big Bear during the winter. Incredible deal. Same roof. Mixed company. Guess what? No. Not as a church activity. It's not smart. Okay? And I know there would be a temptation on the down low. Is it a sin? No, but it's stupid. Okay? It's not smart. It is not smart. It's foolish. You're asking for trouble if you do this. And parents, the same thing with your kids. You know, sleepovers are for eight-year-olds. But there's a certain point in time when you cross over where you're not a teenager, you're, you're not a little kid anymore, and you're a teenager, and, and, the, and the hormones are flowing, and the attraction is flowing. Now, let me say, there have been situations in our church over the years where parents got a little loose in this department, and they had a sleepover with teenage kids. And, you know, Johnny was still there. The sleepover wasn't with him, but he's a, he's a sibling. And he was there and, you know, not good. 
Okay? Wasn't the whole thing, but it was bad enough. No sleepovers. All right? It's, it's, it's a serious thing. You say, well, that's extreme. I remember my sisters used to complain to my dad uh, about this no sleepover rule in our house. I didn't like it either. And they would say, well, well Dad, you're the craziest, weirdest parent in the whole city. And he said, I'm proud of that. <laughs> He's still proud of it today. But you know what? Amazing. I, now I have adopted it. I, I believe in it now. Isn't that crazy? You hate it, but then you grow and you go, I love it. <laughs> For the single people, go on double dates. No single dates. What do I mean? Don't go out on a date alone together. Five years. Five years I did this. And for the great majority of all the weekends of my five years, went on double dates. Okay? I believe dating is a good thing. But it's about cultivating friendships. Somewhere in the world out there, date means sex. They're synonymous. It wasn't a date unless there was sex involved. You know how whack that is? You know how twisted that is? You know how backwards that is? That's what the world talks about out there. And we want no part of it. God says, flee. Don't flirt. Flee. Run away from. Go on double dates. It's a good thing. Group dates. Okay? I had some of the best times as a single man in my life on double dates. It helped me prepare for what I now have with my wife in the friendship department. Intimacy is not just, you know, being alone together in a room with candles lit and soft music. Intimacy is friendship. Honor, respect, purity. We can talk and there's no weirdness. We can be, you know, friends. It's cool. Number four. Don't have long conversations in isolated places. Meaning in the car, together, alone, talking for a couple of hours. Don't do this. Or in the parking lot. Last ones to leave. It happens. I've seen some of you do it. Okay? It's a guardrail. Don't do it. If you got away with it, fine. But it, it, put it out there as a guardrail for your protection. Okay? There's plenty of time for fellowship. In our meetings and in, in all the stuff that's going on, there's plenty of time for that. But do it in the right place, in the right situation. And what are we talking about here? Let's bring it home. This is, a, this is some advice that Paul gave to Timothy. And, and Timothy, more than likely, was a single man. He was a minister. And look what he gives as counsel to Timothy, Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul was a single man also. But he gives this advice to Timothy, a minister. He says, don't rebuke an older man harshly. But exhort him as if he were your father. Treat your younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. You know, this scripture helped me so much when I was a young single man. I got two older sisters. Very vivid for me. Very, very, very vivid. See, because in the world I was a player, as they call it came into the kingdom and I had to adopt this way of thinking, looking at women in the church. And even women outside the church. Very clear. I would never look at my sister, sisters, or think about my sisters in an unwholesome way. I would never do that. 
In fact, the whole, the, just the thought of it was like, no, no way, ever. But it helped me to go on dates and, and, and treat women right. You know, and, and respectful. And let me tell you guys, you do this, women love it. You, you want to impress somebody? Do this. And sisters, same thing says here for you. Treat them as what? Now would you bat your eyes at your brother? Would you, would you do that? Would you bat your eyes at your brother? Elena, would you do that to Adrian? Heck, heck no, right? Heck, heck no. So why would you do it with one of your brothers in the fellowship? Because you're flirty. Okay? I think we've done enough for the single people. I love you. I want you to have what I got for those five years. Okay, what a blessing. Amen? All right, let's, let's, let's bring it all together here. I know we've taken some extra time, but this is very, very important. This is the difference between light and darkness, success and disaster. I wish none of this, and this is God's heart. He wishes none of this on you. He wants only good for you. Okay? Are these extreme? I want you to ask some of the young couples that have gotten married recently. Uh, Gary, do you regret having guardrails in your dating relationship with Patty? Any day that you've gone, man, I wish we could have had some sleepovers. I wish we could have done that. I regret that. No? Patty? Not one, huh? Go around. Get some time with the fellowship. You know who they are. There's some couples now that are getting ready for marriage. I think the Meads are getting married in a week. Oh, my goodness. Talk about excitement. But let me tell you, these guardrails that we left at today, the Mike and Ayumi, they got higher ones. Ask them. Two weeks. Ask them in two weeks. Was it worth it? Do you regret it? I can go back 22 years and I'll tell you, I never regretted one day of it. Not one day. They were tough. I don't regret one day of it. No one does. Here, let me let you in on a little secret. The great, the secret to a great intimate relationship. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about friendship also. A great relationship with an intimate relationship with God is trust and exclusiveness. There's an old song that says, I only have eyes for you. For married couples, you want to know how to light a fire in that marriage? Tell your wife, you're the only one out there in the world. There's nobody else. Not one. You are the only one. Man, that, you want to talk about cultivating a deep relationship, a love? Live that. Don't just say that. Live that. It's powerful. Why is it so powerful? Here it is. 
God's way is the best way. The world can argue it. The world can say it. But it's the best way. And don't let our failing, miserable, disastrous culture dictate your life, your relationships, and guess what else? Your honor. Honor is important. And we're going to close out. Let's look at this last passage. You're going to need your Bibles. I'm so glad you brought them. 1 Peter chapter 4. I had to share this one with you because I just spent a whole weekend in a seminar in Orange County on apologetics and archaeological studies of the Bible. Exhaustive. I was exhausted. But it was pretty intense. Studied history, plates, artifacts, digging, dirt, all this kind of stuff. It was amazing. But here's what I learned from that, that time. When God lays down His judgment, it's serious business. I know we talked about these things in the context of being a blessing in your life. Everything's going to work out. It's going to be awesome. You're going to have a blessed relationship. Let me tell you another flip side. If you don't do these things and you live the way the rest of the world lives, you will face judgment. Because God is not going to just sit down and let this stuff go on. People ruining each other's lives. People hurting innocent children. And ruining families. Ruining cultures. He will not stand down and not do anything about it. There will be a severe judgment for this world and its perversity. All those directors and writers of scripts and and pornographic websites where they promote this stuff, it will come down and there will be fire. This isn't a game. I want the benefit. But there will be a judgment. Look what it says here, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered, why did He suffer? If He suffered in His body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because He who has suffered in His body is not, He, he is done with sin. As a result... He does not live the rest of his earthly body for human evil desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, there it is, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you. You're so extreme. You're so out there. Why do you do those things? But they they will have to give an account to Him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason the Gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. That they might be judged according to to men in regard to the body, but according to God in regard to their spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. 
offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaks, speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength of God that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory. Be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is what we're talking about. The world that we live in says this is crazy and extreme. But God says, this brings me honor. When you live like this, and you set yourself apart like this, and live holy lives dedicated to me, and you fight the fight, even though it's hard, you fight and you, you struggle. You say, no, I will, I will do what's right for God. When all your friends around you ridicule you and make fun of you, here's the warning. But here's the glory. Jesus suffered in His body. And I'm so grateful that He suffered in His body because because of that suffering, I got a second chance. And I've gotten so many more chances. I get to live this now. I get to have these in my life now. Thanks to Jesus' death. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father God, thank You for this time that we can remember Jesus, what He suffered.